Welcome to the Total Soccer Show. My name is Daryl Grove and joining me by the magic of telephony. It's a man I haven't seen in a whole week, I, I believe. It's His weird. name is Taylor Rockwell. Hello. Hello. It is strange. It's so strange, in fact, that I stepped on your introduction to talk about how weird it is not to see your darling face. <laughs> but you've been doing great shows without me. Yeah, I mean, I think, I think they've, been, they've been good shows. Without Daryl Grove, can something be truly great? I mean, probably not. Probably, probably not. not. Probably not. <laughs> so I've genuinely missed doing the show with you, but I'm also really grateful that you kind of said to me, yeah, take a few days off in Michigan. So, yeah. so that's what I did. Saw yeah. a lot of my wife's family, been around town, been to uh, Detroit City Fieldhouse, made the most of my time off. I like it. I think you're the one, it, it, maybe it was a long game by you, well played if so, but you're the one who kind of got me to buy into the idea of like, don't just like like pack your schedule with stuff because like you want everything to work out. Like make the decisions to be like, no, I'm not really gonna have time for that. This is probably isn't gonna work. And really, just getting that stuff dealt with earlier and often makes your life way less stressful. So this felt like a situation in which like you were already gonna be traveling on the road. It was just more like, why don't you just not have to worry about stuff? And yet here we are, <laughs> Thursday afternoon. You're recording a show. Yeah, so it was a long con. I was yes. sort of like saying to you, uh, yeah, yeah, just like, take, take it easy, take yeah. it easy whenever you go out of town, and then I'd go out of town. Yeah. <laughs> but joke's on you, because uh, next year I'm going to be gone for six months. <laughs> well, I'm just going to come with you. How about that? <laughs> Today, mm. I am back. I'm still in Dearborn, Michigan, but I'm back mm. on the show, and we have, I haven't counted them, but I'm going to say nine listener questions to answer. Something like that, I think, yeah. And I'm excited to do it. We've got some big ones. Some will be lengthier than others. One I asked you uh, yesterday, I think, is that the only question we're doing? Because it probably could be a full show. We'll see how long we go today. <laughs> That'll be question number two. You're It'll correct. probably be the headline of this episode as well. Awesome. Um, pun intended. Mm-hmm. Um, all right, shall we start with the first question? Oh, Did you get the pun? and I already don't miss you. Oh, wow. So there was a five-second delay either on this line or on you getting that pun. Oh, no, I got it. It was just I, – I was choosing whether or not to comment, and then you asked me, and I felt the need to comment. <laughs> well, the first question mm-hmm. comes from Dan Coindro. Dan Coindro says, this coming summer, um, Dan asks, which competition is more important for the U.S. men's national team? Is it the Nations League or is it the Olympics? And how might this affect player selection? Mm -hmm. Uh, I feel weird saying this. I'm going to say it's the Nations League. Even though I'm not the biggest fan of the CONCACAF Nations League, I do think uh, it is probably the bigger one for the United States to uh, emerge victorious from. Uh, That is my answer, Daryl. Do you want me to expound on that or do you want to give your answer? I mean, my quick answer is um, there are many more layers to this, which I'm hoping to get to, but the Nations League is a senior tournament. Yep. Uh, the Olympics is essentially a U23 plus three ringers tournament. Yes. Or or like sometimes U23 plus like the three people who are willing to go. <laughs> like yeah. who we could talk into having a vacation uh, <laughs> yeah. during the Olympics. Yeah. Um, yeah. So I, I think that that's a big part of it for me. But it's also that like I, I do think I factored in other things aside from like which one do I want us to win the most. And I think in terms of sort of restoring a little bit of confidence in the program, which is a thing that is sorely needed, winning a competition against regional rivals or at the very least going very far into it and looking competent and capable in that competition, I think will sort of calm a, a, at least a few fears and at the same time sort of give us a bit more chemistry at senior level. Whereas with the Olympics, it's always going to be very difficult for the United States to go very far 
uh, slash like win that competition, especially given that we haven't qualified for it like in the last, I believe, 600 years, but I could be wrong on that. Um, so to me, it feels like even if the United States qualify... Since uh, the Greeks invented it, that's, <laughs> that's it. They were like, since then, the U.S. is just like, nah, that's not going to be for us. But no, I think we're like... Losing to Honduras in the semifinals ever since. <laughs> it's what we do, baby. Uh, but but yeah, I, I just think that like even if the United States made out of the group or ha- like did whatever, it still is going to be people looking at that as like, oh, well, the, the, the younger players can perform, but the senior team can't. Like, I I still think it doesn't carry as much weight as the senior team winning a competition. And the big thing is, if we go to the when when we go to the Nations League, mm-hmm. which just to refresh people's memory, it's basically it's two games, right? It's a semi final, and then it's either a final or a third place playoff. Mm-hmm. Um, the goal is to to get the matchup with Mexico in the final. Um, and then that's the big moment for the U.S. men's national team, right? Because that's when um, people first started. I think people were starting to build some confidence for Greg Berhalter's U.S. men's national team through the Gold Cup. But then the loss to Mexico in the final, followed by that terrible friendly where he treated it like an experiment when we all wanted revenge yeah. um, and lost, I believe, 3-0 trying to play out of the back. It's kind of when everybody was like, oh, no, this is a disaster, right? Mm-hmm. So a good performance and maybe even a result against Mexico in a Nations League final would be absolutely gigantic, both um, for the optics and also actually. <laughs> that is totally true. And we'll see who is involved in that Nations League campaign, given that we still only have, what, one game where we've had Tyler Adams, Weston McKinney, and Christian Pulisic on the field at the same time, I think. Uh, yes. So I, I think that that would be very nice to see them all play and perform very well. But I also think like you kind of know who you would expect to have in that national team game in the Nations League because it's your senior team. And again, going back to that point with the Olympics, there are always those players who we are excited about. And you can go back and look at, uh, I know I said it's 600 years, but we've been there a couple times. But some of those teams have players that <laughs> we know. 2008 was the last time. Yeah. 2008 was the last time we went. And if you look at that, some of the players on that 2008 roster are players we know and we have enjoyed and they have made senior appearances and done very well. But there are also yeah. people on there that we were sure were going to be national team players that never were. And so... Even winning the Olympics, or not winning the Olympics, but doing really well in the Olympics, winning would be lovely, but probably not going to happen. Uh, it still doesn't, like, it's not a guarantee that, oh, things are on the right track because we don't know how many of those people are going to kind of move to that next level. Whereas beating domestic or like regional competition, maybe getting past Mexico, maybe winning it kind of shows like, oh, but at senior level, things are a little bit better. I'd even argue that. Um more important than our performance at the Olympics is getting to the Olympics. Yes. And if we can just get through CONCACAF um, Oli Quali, as I call mm. it, <laughs> Olympic qualifying, um, it's in late March, it's in Guadalajara, Mexico. If we can qualify for the Olympics, that will be the achievement because that will be the getting back on the right path. And then even yeah. if we go out in the group stage, then just the fact of us getting to the Olympics is a step forward. And then it's just good experience. If it's guys like Alex Mendez or Richie Ledesma or Chris Richards get to go to the Olympics. That's another tournament where they get to spend time together and um, get that tournament experience and have the experience of team bonding. I think it probably lays a good foundation for the future. So I would argue that that Olympic qualifying tournament is weirdly more important than the tournament it's qualifying you for. That, all right, that, that then is my next question for you. What if Dan's question were rephrased to which is more important, qualifying for the Olympics or winning the Nations League? Oh, I, I honestly couldn't answer it. They're both super important. <laughs> I've made it hard. Uh, no, I would say that we could we could lose in the Nations League final yep. and it would be okay, right? So I would say maybe qualifying for the Olympics is more important because it would be more of a disaster if we don't make it. I we have... cannot win the Nations League and it'd be kind of acceptable as long as it's a decent performance. Whereas even if we perform well in Olympic qualifying, if we don't make it, it's like sound the klaxons. I totally disagree. 
You ready? No, I 100% agree with you. <laughs> how about the second part of Dan's question? Uh-huh. And how might this affect player selection? I mean, I think, number one, it depends on who is fit. If if the, we have kind of the full array of players available to the senior team, then I think probably not as much because though there are a lot of players in that kind of senior team group, quote-unquote, uh, who are eligible for the Olympics or could be with the three overage spots as well, I still think what we've seen is sort of a tendency to prioritize the senior team unless Timothy Way is saying, no, I want to go to a World Cup. Aside from yeah. that, I think we will see the players that are eligible to be with the senior team who have already been there stay with that senior team. So I think it would impact it that way that there are some people who could be at the Olympics who won't be. I'd go as far as saying that that because the Nations League is only two games mm-hmm. and it's in an international window anyway, it's not like you're going off to a whole separate tournament and playing seven games, right? So true. it's not impossible to play two games in June in the Nations League finals and then be called up to the Olympics in what, late July, early August. So it it is possible to play in both. There's a long there's a long break in between. Isn't the difficult thing there though that like your your club team is probably not gonna be inclined to release you for two different competitions like so like Neymar for example he had to choose between Copa America and the uh, Olympics in 2016 isn't it safe to say that like I, I take your point that it's a shorter competition but I I guess I still wonder if some European teams would be like no nah, yeah. we don't really want you doing two things in one summer I mean that's always the thing with the Olympics mm-hmm. right so yeah I mean the the Nations League it's because it's a FIFA tournament and it's in an international window clubs can't really say no I think there's a bit more negotiation with the Olympics and I, yeah you're right I can see a team like Chelsea saying you yeah. really need Christian in June and you also need him in like late July early August so yeah I could I could see some argument there but I'm I'm saying it's possible it's not impossible I, I like that we could see your sort of inherent US bias there Daryl that you did you did the obnoxious voice when doing your Chelsea impression Whenever you're like, if it's ever a person you don't really like enjoy that much, you always do that. Like, not you, but the royal you does the like, oh, can we vote Christian? We just need him. And you did exactly that, my friend. So we know what your loyalties are. <laughs> Glue Weston's shoulder back in. <laughs> that probably has been yelled at some point by an English person about an English player before. Just glue it on. It'll be fine. <laughs> yeah, we did that with um, David Beckham's metatarsal. <laughs> That's, you can still hit free kicks. That's a joke for the English listeners out there. Uh, <laughs> should we move on to the second question or anything else from Dan's? Oh, no, I want to talk about this right. next question. All right, here we go. From John Martin, uh, all-time best bald or shaved head 11 versus all-time huge-haired 11, who wins? Oh, okay, so here's what we did. We split this up, mm-hmm. and I took the bald-slash-shaved head 11. You did. And you took the... Huge head 11. I did. And I think our, our rationale for doing so is that I've, I once had a shaved head mm-hmm. when I was, I want to say, 22, and I was working in the uh, the BMW uh, car factory. Yep. And you have definitely had huge hair because I've seen that photo. I had a fro throughout high school, my friend. Oh, yeah. Mm-hmm. It was Marcelo-esque is what I'm going to say. Yes. That is, that is yeah, not quite a fro. It definitely was more like curly, but then you could pick it out. Uh, yes. And then I had it, I did have it long when we were up in D.C., but I kept it pulled back constantly because <laughs> I, I have like ringlet curly hair. Nobody needs to see that. Nobody needs to see that. Um, I also so, feel like you're already inherently biasing this because you've switched my team from big haired to huge haired. There will be no huge haired on this team, but we can get to that oh, in Oh, I apologize. I mean, I literally copy and pasted John's question into this, this document this and he fair. uses the phrase huge head but mm-hmm. I, we, I did text you and say i'm, I'm not going to get sort of pedantic about this yeah. i think it's up to each of our discretion sort of what counts as big hair or huge hair to make the 11 and what counts as 
bald head slashed shaved head. So okay. before we reveal our teams, yeah. mm-hmm. do you want to talk a little bit about our criteria? I do. And I want to just like fill in the like between the lines there from Daryl. What he said was, it's not up to me to be pedantic about these things because I feel like the subtext there was because I know that you, Taylor, are going to be very pedantic about these things yourself. <laughs> I just, I literally didn't want to get into a hair measuring thing with you. Of like who counts on <laughs> yeah. your team and who doesn't. Right. Yeah. So I want to, I want to get into some of the criteria here, if that works for you. Yeah, let's go for all it. Right. Let's, so, tell you, let's hear your criteria and we'll hear your team and then we'll get my criteria right. and my team. All right. So okay. first of all, the fundamental point of this is like, if we're building teams, we're trying to win. So I'm trying to have a team that, that is winning, but also having big hair. It's not just, do we have the biggest hair? Because then we're obviously going to beat the bald 11 if that's the criteria. So though there are players with very big hair, uh, David Luiz looking in your direction, David Luiz will not be on my team because come on, I'm trying to win. You don't win with David Luiz on your team. But wow, there okay. are other rules in here. Uh, I tell, would say- Tell that to the Premier League winning Chelsea team. I, yes, I will. I'll also tell that to his current Arsenal team, and I think that one will carry a bit more weight. Um, my other three criteria, uh, long hair does not equal big hair necessarily. So some okay. players on here are long-haired, but just having long hair doesn't mean big. Um, I, I think it's so also... Big goes up, right? Big goes up. Yeah, I mean, or, or wide. Out. Wide is also a thing. Wide. Or out, oh. yes. yes. Oh, out doesn't down. Yeah. Okay. Um, and then I think for a lot of these, like where my head was, like it's got to be a sort of thing that you identify as one of like the five to ten things you think of with that player. So Valderrama is obviously on my team. That is a thing you think of right away. But for other players where it was sort of like, oh yeah, that one time, like as an example, uh, there were lots of articles about like players with the best afros and like Rio Ferdinand was on there. Like Rio Ferdinand has a, had other haircuts, but also yeah. it's not really a thing you think of when it comes to him. Similarly, my other one was that it can't be out uh out overshadowed by other haircuts so like neymar once had a big afro but also he's had a million haircuts yeah uh, somebody suggested david beckham the same because he once had like kind of big mane of hair but then yeah. he's also had 14 other iconic haircuts and so without going too deep into mine i've gone the same way just because yeah. david beckham had a shaved head briefly mm. i'm he's not eligible for a shaved head 11 all right all right yeah so i good to know uh so what i've got for you is a three five two of sorts i think Oh, I think okay. I've left the player off of mine. I might have to figure that one out on the fly. Um, because I had a back three of Alexi Lalas, I have Riga Bersong, and I've got Carlos Puyol. Rene Iguita is my goalkeeper. So uh, any, any thoughts on those so far? No, that's pretty slick so far. I like it. Uh, yeah, because I think a lot, Lalas with the facial hair really, really like bounces that one out a bit more. Uh, and then Carlos Puyol, again, long hair doesn't necessarily give you big hair, but the way he sort of kept it with that kind of perm and the poofiness that went to it, it added yeah. the volume, and that volume is important. It was lion-esque. <laughs> it certainly was. Yeah. And then Riga Song was like literally nicknamed the lion. Mufasa about it. What's that? He had a touch of Aslan slash Mufasa. Yes, 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 he did. And and you're talking about, again, everything you're saying, like, directly is about Rigobert Song, who I think, again, was called a lion and, like, was called, like, Aslan in Turkey and all those good things. (laughs) Um, As my my left wing back, but more of a left attacker, is going to be Marcelo, Brazilian Marcelo. Come on now. Right back was a little bit harder because it's tough to find, like, dedicated right backs. And a lot of other lists I saw had cheated and put, like, Rio Ferdinand as a right back. Let's be real here. Oh, that's cheating on two. Yeah, it's true. So I've gone with a Brazilian right winger who I'm going to kind of utilize as a right back if I need to, but we're going to be all about the attack, so it won't matter. It's Revelino, who famously had the fro uh, throughout the 70s, Uh, so I'm I'm rocking that one there. My two holding midfielders of sorts are going to be Socrates and Carlos Valderrama. (laughs) holding with quotation marks around him. <laughs> You're damn right. <laughs> not, there's not going to be so much def- defending in there. Then yeah. this this one, 
maybe it's a bit controversial, but I'm going to go for it anyway. It's like my kind of number 10 ahead of them. I'm not going Diego Maradona. I asked that one on Twitter. Yes, he had the big hair. But again, with with Maradona, I could probably give you like, Daryl, give me 10 things that describe Diego Maradona to you. I don't feel like you would ever go with like, oh, and he's got the big hair. Like, so it doesn't yeah, really I mean, fit. Early, like late 70s, early 80s, he mm-hmm. definitely had it. But I feel like the more famous he got, yeah. the less hair he had. Exactly. Maybe We're- the more cocaine he had, the less hair he had. Maybe it, cocaine's a hair thinning drug. <laughs> <laughs> I really, really like that theory. So what <laughs> the I am... Opposite. It's the opposite of hymns. <laughs> <laughs> Again, my goal here being well done. My goal here being uh, that I would like to win, but I want some it's, some big hair. Actually, both hymns products, from what I've heard, is the opposite of hymns. Well done, double double <laughs> advice. I like that too. Uh, I'm going with Roberto Baggio as my number ten because Ooh, okay. that yeah, gigantic ponytail. Come on now, and then but then like he had it with the mullet as well, the mullet that sits up yeah. high on the head. So it really just you've got the volume on top, the the uh, amount of hair in the back. Sometimes in a braid, uh, similar to Rigo Bear's song, the big braid <laughs> adds the weight to it. So I'm putting him in there too. And then there's a there's a sneaky attacker who I, I think currently plays. Who when I look at it. You wouldn't again. He. This is maybe the outlier where you probably wouldn't think of it if you were describing him in like that five to ten list. But it's totally accurate. It's Mohamed Salah. Mohamed Salah has got a big old head of hair. Yeah, he does. All right, that's that is sneaky but accurate. Yeah, it, it, and and I know. I'm and and like you don't even need to search like Mohamed Salah plus Afro. And believe me, I, that search exists for Eusebio. I was I was going real hard on like I need I need a forward with big hair. Find me one <laughs> photo of Eusebio with a fro. That did not happen. So what I have gone with is Mohamed Salah, and then there were not as many striker options with the big hair. No huge fros that have scored a ton of goals. Some have scored a few, but that's not what we're going for here. Instead, I have gone for Mr. Rude Hullet. And if that comes as a surprise because you think of him as like shorter hair or more recently like shaved head, go back and look at him in the eighties. That is a mane of hair he's got going on the dreads super wide but then again they sit up high he still has bangs with the dreadlocks which is an interesting look as well uh, all of that just gives him that big haired appearance and also because he was vaguely a striker he fits very well for what i need <laughs> i think as well because he's not been a particularly successful coach mm-hmm. um especially in major league soccer um people forget what a magnificent player rude Hullet was mm-hmm. i would love like what i've got a dream for a soccer 101 to one day go back and look at the euro 88 dutch team where like Hullet and Van Basten, um, just just to watch some Rude Hullet footage once Darryl, again. So, yeah, I will I, go with you on I that I love trip. a team with Rude Hullet. I will go with you on that trip. Uh, do you want All my right. substitutions here or do you want me to leave that for later? Oh, no, give me some subs. Who else you got? Uh, can, I, can I take a guess at a couple? Sure. Um, I think a name that a lot of people will be screaming out is Maron Fellaini. Yes, he is on the bench. I, I couldn't, I mean, if you're going, like, maybe if I really wanted, like, an actual defensive midfielder, if I was going for, like, true tactics, like, maybe I would put him in there. But even then, he ends up being a number 10 or, if you're Jose Mourinho, an out-and-out number 9. So I, <laughs> I've got him on the bench if need be. But he was one who, I think, in my mind, was more minutes. of... <laughs> yes, totally, exactly. Uh, but he was one who, like, I, I think if I was going for, like, simply just who had the biggest hair in soccer i would throw him in yeah. there but then also just like as a like kind of explainer of where my mindset was you could do that but then you and i have experienced this before part of the appeal of this type of show this type of like conversation is players that people know and if i was constantly being like all right there's this el salvadorian guy from the 1974 world cup qualifying he had the biggest afro you've ever seen that loses something in an audio format is all i'm saying Fair enough. So yes, I've Fair gone enough. for Fellaini. Uh, I have Ryan Giggs on the bench because That's though, 
You, do you want to know why? It's not the hair on the top of his head. It's that chest hair, my friend. If you're talking <laughs> big hair. That man's got some big hair on his chest. When I'm he rips that jersey F- off. FA Cup, yep. Cup semi-final against Arsenal. That's yeah. the one. <laughs> and then the other two that like I had starting and then I moved out because I felt like people would take issue. Pavel Nedved has got that like that feathery mane of hair again. That And it's blonde on top, which really makes it stand out. But he goes to the bench for that. And George Best, similarly. Especially for the time period he was in. And you contrast his hairstyle with, say... Maybe Bobby Charlton, who I'm guessing maybe is going to come up later on. Very, very big for the time period, and yet still kind of big and poofy, and then had the mutton chops and everything else going as well. The photo of him with a full beard and the big hair makes his head look like six times its normal size, but it still felt like a bit of a cheat to put him in the big-haired 11, so I'll put him as a bench player. Okay, so one final time. Let me mm-hmm. try and guess your team from memory. It's Igita mm-hmm. in yeah. goal. Your back three is God, Mr. Alexis. I love, love Igita, by the way. I'm sorry. I watched so much footage of him last night. It was great. So Igita, uh, Lalas, mm-hmm. um, uh, Song, and uh, Carlos Puyol. Mm-hmm. Uh, your wing backs were Marcelo on the left, mm-hmm. and I want to say you said Rivellino on the indeed. right. Mm-hmm. Um, and I'm going to say you had two distributive midfielders of Socrates and Valderrama. <laughs> yeah. Um, Roberto Baggio is your number 10. Yep. And then you had Mo Salah and Rude Hullet up front. That's your big head 11. You got it. Got to say, I like it. I like it. I got to say, I think All your right. forward options are slightly better than my forward options. I may have missed them. I tried quite hard and succeeded in not looking at other people's lists mm-hmm. and just trying to come up with my own bald head 11 mm-hmm. slash shaved head 11. Um, here's the one bit. The one criteria I went for is... It can't just be towards the end of the career they went bold or had a shaved head for like their final season. Mm-hmm. <laughs> That's not quite good enough. Um, and it can't be like the David Beckham, like uh, like brief flirtation with a shaved head hairstyle. So that rules out David Beckham. That rules out Roy Keane. Uh, there are quite a few players who just went with a, uh, a brief shaved yeah. head. I'm not including those guys. It's got to be a full commitment to either actually being bold <laughs> or shaving your head for the majority of your career. All right. I, I, I like this. Like, a slight – well, no, I'll ask you my slight wrinkle later on. Let's do it. All right. So in goal, this is a clear winner, Fabian Barthez. Mm-hmm. So if you remember 1998 World Cup, Laurent Blanc, French captain, uh, used to kiss Fabian Barthez's oh, yeah. bald head for good luck before the start of every match. So you can't really argue with that, right? No. In uh, fact, I saw people suggesting Pepe Reina. And while I know there's a lot of love for Pepe Reina, I was shocked because the answer is Fabian Barthez. Yeah, and plus Pepe Reindeer is all, all, already in our Festive Eleven, right? This is, so very, this is true. And also he did not win a World Oh, maybe he did win a World Cup, actually, with Spain. That, that, yeah, but that's a wrinkle. Maybe in a, non, a non-participatory kind of way. There but Fabian, okay. Bart- Fabian Bartas's bold head won the World Cup. That um, indeed. Right. Uh, my back two, so mm-hmm. my back four, mm-hmm. two centre-backs are Yap Stam, yeah. who is truly bold, right? Uh-huh. He's actually a bold man. Um, and Martin Skirtle. Who went? Who wasn't bold at all, but just went with a consistent throughout his entire career. Yep. Shaved head, like you remember him for Liverpool and Slovakia mostly. Um, so I quite like that. The, you know, like it's good to have a balance with your centre backs, like you know what, like a stopper sweeper type yep. thing. Um, I've gone like a true bold and a shaved head committed bold. So it's a nice centre back partnership there. Um, I, if you had given me a lot of money to list like a hundred random players that would somehow be referenced on two different shows this week. Martin Skirtle would never have been on my list. And yet here we are. <laughs> David, I all talked about him. Now you have as well. Welcome to the Total Soccer Show. Evidently. Uh, <laughs> left back has to be Roberto Carlos. Yeah, he really, of course. I don't know where his hairline is, but he really committed to shaving that head, I think through his entire career. Yeah. It, it so, is like, I always love the Larry David joke about this of like, 
like you're just shaving your head to shave your head. You're not shaving your head because you're bald. That means nothing to me. Or I think it's like <laughs> you can't shave it off. You've just got to proudly represent the bald. But either way, Roberto Carlos, yeah, I think he definitely qualifies. He did. And then right back, it's got to be from that 98 World Cup winning team again, Lillian Turam. Yep. Um, who I think like him being bald is not the most famous thing about him. He's mostly a shaved head bald, but he's got a very shiny head. So there's a lot of photos where the, uh, the lights in the Juventus Stadium are reflecting off of his head. <laughs> a shaved Lillian. head bald. Lillian Taram at right back. And I think he was receding. So he was kind of trying to hide mm-hmm. it, but getting away with it. Yep. Um, okay, then. So I've got like a 4-1-3-2 formation here, yep. right? Um, my defensive midfielder, I have a choice of French defensive midfielders from throughout the ages. Yeah, it's not really fair. <laughs> so I could go Patrick Vieira, mm-hmm. Cloud Makalele, mm-hmm. or N'Golo Kante. Yeah. All of them slightly receding. All of them consistently shaved their heads. Um, I'm going to go Patrick Vieira because he has receded the most. (laughs) All right. I I respect your choices. I respect your choices. And I I mean, I could have like a really destructive midfield with all three of them, right? But um, I wanted some creativity in there as well. So Patrick Vieira is my defensive midfielder. Mm -hmm. Um, Attacking midfield, you've got to get creative, right? What is more creative than Bobby Charlton trying to take those three strands of hair to cover the top of his head? Just, Just let it go, Bobby. I, right. I, I need I need to make sure I've actually asked my wife this on multiple occasions that like if my hair ever gets to the point where I think I'm pulling it off and I'm not, she's just got to be brutal and tell me I'm not pulling it off. Because, like, <laughs> I, you know, Bobby Charlton looked at himself in the mirror every day and was like, no one suspects a thing. Yeah. And there was so so I did some Google searching for this. There are mm. so many photos of Bobby Charlton's three strand Homer Simpson comb over. Yep essentially coming undone mid-game mm-hmm. and it's just those three strands like flapping in the wind and revealing like a full Jean-Luc Picard uh, bald head. Yep. Um, I want to give Charlton credit as well. I want to give Donald Trump credit because he basically saw what Bobby Charlton was doing and went, okay, but I could do that a lot better. So yeah, I, think, would, I think Donald Trump has really doubled down on what Sir Bobby Charlton was doing. If you had given me another $100 and said, will Daryl Grove at some point this week say, you've got to give Donald Trump, Trump credit, I would have lost that $100 as well. <laughs> Um, then midfield creativity, mm-hmm. you've also got to have Zinedine yes. Zidane. Yes. Uh, so 1998 World Cup, which is, you know, when a lot of people became aware of Zinedine Zidane, <laughs> he had hair, but I'm going to argue he was already bald because he had that monk spot boldness, right? Already in 1998. So he was well on his way. I, I'm, I'm, Unconventional, I'm obsessed with your team now <laughs> because I just want it to be like, it, like Charlton comes in with the like, comb over uh, and Zidane comes in with like barely hair hanging on and just the whole team has to be like, guys, you know what team you're on. Like, <laughs> pull the trigger. Get, just shave it off. <laughs> it needs to be done. Like, if for no other reason, I like that you're saving them a little bit of embarrassment by making it happen <laughs> earlier within your team. And to Zidane's credit, around 2004, he does just say, all right, we're shaving this whole yeah. thing up. <laughs> Um, and then completing my sort of attacking midfield three, it's a man who has essentially a really good Steven Gerrard-esque hairline. So we had no need to go like shaved head. And yet he went shaved head his entire career. There is not a single photo of this man with anything but a fully shaved head. Juan Sebastian Veron. Oh, fully committed yeah. Fully committed to the shaved head. Maybe he just went bald at the age of like nine. But you can see, you can see the little bit of stubble. It's it's still there. He must have like got a big razor every morning and gone gone all out. That could be. Maybe he's that yeah. dedicated, and that's the type of dedication you need to round out your midfield. 
Yep. So there you go. Seb Everon's in my midfield. Mm -hmm. My forwards, I've gone with the... How will you ever choose one? There are so few bald forwards. Just kidding. They're all bald. I found that out doing my research too. (laughs) Well, I've gone for Arjen Robben Mm -hmm. as a forward because he's played there for the Netherlands and for the team several times, right? He was properly bald, right? Arjen Robben. That thing went, that hairline went all the way back. Um, and Nicholas Anelka, yeah. who also went full bold for everything except like the first couple of years of his career. So Robin and Anelka are my two forwards. Am I missing some forwards? Because I couldn't really think of too many. I mean, I think it depends on how you want to look at Ronaldo, original Ronaldo, maybe, because he had the triangle, but he like he usually yeah. had it shaved. Like Then later on, I think he started to grow it out a bit more, but for a very long time, he had it very, very short. He but, wasn't committed enough for me. I really yeah. did look at a lot of photos of Ronaldo, and especially, you know, the one in, uh, I think, what, 2002, where it's like shaved yeah. head, but then with a little bit of hair the on the triangle, yeah. Yeah, the triangle. Yeah, I just wasn't fully committed, uh, convinced by Ronaldo's commitment to boldness. Isn't so there, didn't want him. Isn't there a very good story? Sorry for interrupting. Isn't there a very good story about that triangle? Probably, but I don't know. I, I think it was it was either like it was an accident and he was just like, let's do it. Or it was something else that had to do with his mental health. Weirdly, that rings a bell in there, too. But it was something where it was like the narrative at the time was like, oh, he's trying to like start this new fashion or like raise his awareness. And then really it was just like, no, it was just a thing that kind of happened. And he was like, oh, well, I'll just do it. And here we are. <laughs> I will say uh, he was a trendsetter because my friend Pete Holland came into to, oh, no. uh, college one day with that haircut. Oh, no. And did he come in the next day without that haircut, I hope? No, to Pete's credit, he was really committed to it. He was. <laughs> he did not care what people thought. <laughs> Daryl, I think you should go for that look. I think that's that's a maybe, smart choice for you. Maybe for 2020. Um, so on the bench, on the bench, I've got Dion Dublin, mm-hmm. properly bold, like his whole career, really good target man striker. People don't remember he played for mostly Aston Villa, but also uh, Manchester United. So Dion Dublin will be coming off the bench to win some headers with his big bold head. Um, Attilo Lombardo, do you remember this guy? He played for Italy a, a few times, uh, more famous for playing Samp- for Sampdoria and briefly for Crystal Palace in the Premier League in the 90s. Um, he was like, really visibly bold because he had the, uh, again, like Jean-Luc Picard, like little bit of tuft of hair on the side, but then a giant dome. So Lombardo is like the most visibly bold player there's ever been. Mm-hmm. Um, Esteban Cambiasso, yeah. um, who played for Argentina and weirdly Leicester City. Uh, he's on the bench. And of course, Michael Bradley is on the bench because he's not getting into a midfield with Zidane, Charlton and Veron. And then I, I didn't go with coaches, but I and no, he's not, by the way. But you really do have the uh, a decent number of people to pick from. Uh, but I, I didn't go with any because I couldn't think of anybody with like truly big hair. Miguel Herrera did have some big hair when he was playing, but not necessarily yeah. when he was managing. Who have I got? Sam Pauli, Bob Bradley. You, you, you could you could find some coaches. I feel like, right? you, could, I feel like you could keep going and find some more. Yeah. yeah. Um, the uh, it did occur to me you did miss uh, the the super villain strike force if you wanted to go that route. Who's that? You could have Karsten Janker and Jan Kohler as your two forwards, oh, and that would be horrifying and terrifying all at once. Those dudes were made to be uh, target strikers, and then also James Bond henchmen. Oh wow! Yeah, that, that's Plan B. Then get those two guys on. Sorry, Dion Dublin. <laughs> <laughs> so then the that question, I did think we were going to say this week on the show sorry Dion Dublin that was definitely a thing I would have bet on so then the question is who wins uh, I, I gotta give the edge to your boys really why so I mean because I have uh, a midfield three of Baggio Socrates and Valderrama <laughs> like I think they're going to complete I mean, a lot of lovely passes I don't know how many balls we're winning back they would win the rondo yes after, that like, is but, definitely true <laughs> but Vieira's going to come tearing through at some point right? yes yeah I think so I think so <laughs> 
Um, all right, I'll take the win then. I'm not even going to argue. Um, uh, yeah, nor should you, nor should you. But uh, I, I do like the, the big-haired 11. There were many, many, many other names that like I, I could have gone with if we were just going for sheer volume. But what's the point in that? <laughs> oh, Jermaine Jones was on my bench as well. I should add him. I mean, if you have one of the things that makes you like most endeared to fans is a game called like the Snow Fro game. Yeah. By definition, if you have Fro in the title of your description, you get in the team. I think that's fair. I think that for so you've got Jones on the bench and I've got Bradley on the bench. Yes. So we have a whole era of the United States men's national team um, sitting on the bench. I guess I could have DMP as my left back, right? The, yeah. I mean, there, you really could probably do this if we wanted to go that deep. We could do like maybe even two teams, but definitely like one combined team of bald and big haired from just the U.S. national team. Because like you could maybe yes. make an argument for Marcelo Balboa for big hair. You mm. could make an argument for Kobe Jones for big hair. And then, yes, you definitely had uh, more than a few uh, shaved heads, bald heads for the, the U.S. as well. Yeah, I mean, so a few people suggested to me that Landon Donovan should be in there. But mm-hmm. I feel like he never – he just hung on long enough throughout his career. Friedel so, like, could be in there for you, I think. Absolutely, yeah. yeah Zahn absolutely. could be in there. Yeah, you've got some goalkeepers. Uh, goalkeeper Howard was. He definitely could. Goalkeeper right. was probably my deepest position, I think, in retrospect when I was looking at it. Because there's definitely been a couple of different big-haired keepers. But uh, I'm going to play host, though. I'm going to play host and say we should definitely move on. You've been a, a long more? time. You want a few more players. Is that question. what you're saying? If people want to send them to us on Twitter, it's at Total Soccer Show. And I'd love to hear any recommendations for, um, for either team. But first, mm-hmm. today's show is sponsored by... Feels. Feels is a better way to feel better. What is Feels all about, Tyler? F-E-A-L-S. As you just said, uh, Feels is all about making you feel better because their premium CBD will help keep your head clear and help you feel your best. CBD has been proven to greatly reduce anxiety, pain, and sleeplessness. Uh, When my wife was very stressed out uh, preparing to take the bar, Feels Definitely made her calm down a little bit, made her feel a little bit more confident, a little bit less anxious. And key to this was the sleeplessness aspect. It didn't allow her to like keep her wheel spinning as she was laying in bed wondering, like, should I be studying right now? Should I be studying tomorrow morning? Should I be studying again? Instead, she just went to sleep, and that's useful. Ah, that's mm-hmm. good for her. Yeah. Good for her. I will say I – I don't suffer from like any anxiety or sleeplessness. I really don't. Once I hit the pillow, I'm away. Mm-hmm. Um, but feels does help me concentrate, yeah. which I'm not even sure if that's in the copy. I'm not sure if it's a thing that they promote. But whenever I have a few drops of feels, I really feel like zeroed in on what I'm doing. Yeah, that, that, that makes sense to me. I, I also feel like the creativity is a little bit more there. So like I think about things a little bit differently, hence why Ryan Giggs. Uh, was in my big hair team, <laughs> um, but yeah, uh, and I and I, I appreciate that as well. You, so you can you take... place a few drops on your chest. <laughs> Maybe that's what he did. Maybe that's, that's what it was all about. It. You place the drops under your tongue, not on the chest. <laughs> this is true. Um, but if you are maybe confused about how you should be using CBD, Feels offers a free <laughs> CBD hotline and text message support to help uh, guide your personal experience. If you keep putting it on your chest and be like, this isn't working, what's going on? <laughs> and yeah, Fields has real human support that will talk you through but, it and tell my, you, no, don't put it on your chest, put it under your tongue. But my pectorals feel so much more relaxed. <laughs> uh, so Fields can have you feeling your best every day. It can help uh, you you very much in your daily life. So become a member today by going to feels.com slash TSS and you'll get 50% off your first order with free shipping. That's F-E-A-L-S dot com slash TSS to become a member and get 50% automatically taken off your first order with free shipping. 
That once again, that's feels.com slash TSS. The link will be in the show notes. Ooh, man, I went I went up real high at the end of that one. I'm like, with free shipping. I, I regret <laughs> that immediately, but that's life. Thank you very much to Feels for sponsoring today's episode. More listener questions, uh, starting with one from or continuing with one from Andrew Kaysen, who asks, Will Red Bull ever take over a club in England? And if they do, what club will it be? Also, how do you think the people in England will would or will respond to it? Oh, so, I mean, there aren't any 50 plus one type rules in England to nope. prevent this happening. This absolutely could happen in England, provided enough people sort of gave it clearance. So it's very, very realistic. Um, I've thought a lot about this. I've also asked some, uh, asked a few, uh, at least one supporter, how they would feel about Red Bull taking over a specific team that I have in mind. Okay. Um, so let me go through this. I don't think Red Bull would take over, say, a Premier League team because because if any team that's in the Premier League is already doing pretty well financially, right? Yep. Because of all that Premier League TV money, it would be very expensive to take over a Premier League team and rebrand them. And there would be uproar. They'd be, I think they get negative publicity for it. And that's not what they're in the game for, right? This is a marketing exercise from this Austrian energy drink company. They want good publicity, not bad publicity from, uh, from getting their name out there. So I think if they were going to do this in England, the way to do it would be to buy a lower division team with a history that's kind of struggling right now and would benefit a lot from a big money takeover. Mm-hmm. Okay, I've got a few follow my, guesses. You follow my logic? I do. So like one team that's been in trouble recently is someone like Bolton Wanderers, mm-hmm. right? That would I think that would be a good uh, a good team for them to take over. A lot of history, uh, financially struggling um, a little bit. Uh, but the team I think really makes sense is Port Vale. Port Vale. Um, this team... Do you know, have you heard of Port Vale? I mean, I've heard of Port Vale. All right. So Port Vale, it's more than 100 years old, right? They were established in either the 1800s or early 1900s, depending on um, who you want to believe. They've been in the Football League for over 100 years. They have never been in the top division. They finished 20th in League Two last year. So that's the lowest you can go without getting relegated to, to non-league. Um, and they're always like financially in trouble, right? Always in danger of like going into administration and getting kicked out of the league. I think a Port Vale takeover would be the the absolute best thing for everybody. So I, I've also got a friend, Pete. You know my friend Pete Lowe. This is not the yeah. uh, Ronaldo Hecker guy. This is a different Pete. Um, I was running through your him, list of friends and the clubs they support trying to figure. I was like, Villa? 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 No. West Brom? No. Like, Villa's, I, was, I think Villa's too big and too expensive and it would cause too much of an uproar. Yeah. Right? Like, I had this theory that if, if Red Bull took over Port Vale – renamed it Red Bull Port Vale and poured loads of money into it and then worked their way up the league. So it's kind of like they did with Leipzig, right? It eventually become a top level club. Port Vale fans would be just so happy that someone saved their club from disaster that that the negative publicity would disappear. It would all be positive. So I texted Pete and asked him how he would feel Mm -hmm. if they renamed it Red Bull Port Vale, poured money in, got them to the Premier League. Mm -hmm. You ready? He texted me back, bitten, hands off. I asked him for his reasoning and he said they're retaining the name with Red Bull Port Vale. He's happy with the Red Bull branding as long Uh as the name Port Vale's in there. Um, He says, if Port Vale's situation were less precarious, you might get a different answer from me. But we've been flirting with administration and exiting the league for such a long long time. Mm -hmm. We're on the knife edge. So you couldn't say no even for romantic reasons. Wow. All right. So Red Bull Port Vale, that's where we're going? Red Bull Port Vale, yeah. 
Yeah, uh, so, Port Vale, I think, is, is the way to go. I've got a, a backup plan as well. If there is the thing of like maybe, say if Peter had objected, right? He said, no, there's too much history. I don't want energy drink branding all over my team. I'd rather them be terrible than be successful and be called Red Bull Port Vale. The other option in England is you you could do what AFC Wimbledon did. I was wondering if this just is what like you are going to do. Start a new team. Yeah, start a new team oh. and start at the bottom. You can start in essentially the 10th tier of English football with a new team. Um, Berry, you know, Berry just were expelled mm-hmm. from the Football League. Um, news came out yesterday that um, Berry AFC are sort of the Phoenix club replacing Berry FC. They're entering in the 10th tier of English football. AFC Wimbledon did this a few years ago. Ryan Bailey's team, right? Mm-hmm. Now they're in League One. So Red Bull really could start a team in any town they chose in England. You wouldn't be replacing or taking over another team. You would just start from scratch with Red Bull wherever. Red Bull Colligate, which is my, ta- my town. <laughs> I, I think you're just trying to set that one up so they'll go to Colligate. Um, <laughs> I, I, I followed your logic entirely because I think like to go with a Premier League team already is going to be super expensive. But like maybe if they did, like Southampton came to mind because they already have the academy in place and you could kind of instill that system. But I think you're absolutely right that to get a Premier League team to change their name, it's going to be a huge issue and it's going to be uh, cost prohibitive. The one that you sort of went to but then stepped stepped past really quickly is I feel like you could buy MK Duns and just make them RB whatever you want to call them because everybody hates MK Duns for moving Wimbledon and changing the name. So they've already changed the name once. Why not change it to something else and then make them a more successful team? Because they too have not been as successful as I think they'd hope to be. So I could yeah, also see that also, working. They're also so unpopular. Why would you want to associate yourself with them, right? I mean, so so was they like, I guess not that unpopular, but like a fifth division East German team. Like, I don't know if it's like, if it's cheap and you can sort of see it as like, no, they already changed the name and they're terrible. So we're, cha- we're buying them. What if you change it to like RB Wimbledon? Like, would people like that? <laughs> I mean, if they moved the team back to Wimbledon, mm-hmm. maybe. Right. If they okay. bought um, MK Duns and moved the team back to Plough Lane, where where Wimbledon originally played, um, then maybe then Ryan Bailey would have a, um, a head scratcher on his hands. Yeah, right? he would. <laughs> so you have AFC Wimbledon and Red Bull Wimbledon. Yep. You wouldn't know who to support. <laughs> maybe they could play like alternate home games. So there's a home team every week. If you're a Wimbledon <laughs> That would cost Ryan a lot in flights, though, from North Carolina. It certainly would. It certainly would. <laughs> but I think since Pete bit your hands off for your answer, let's just go with yeah. your answer. Yeah, my hands hurt. <laughs> All right, well, while you deal with your hurting hands, uh, do you want to ask the next question or shall I? I'll ask it. It's right. uh, from Raghav Gupta. Raghav Gupta asks, outside of the traditional big sides, who's been the most impressive player this season? Mm-hmm. That's a good question. That's a good question. I'm going to say Marcus Rashford. <laughs> I feel like that's a, that's a hurtful burn here. <laughs> um, so, uh, Raghav, I, I answered this in a couple different ways because I'm assuming uh, Raghav meant from like any league in the world and then like the big teams within those leagues may be removed. Yeah, yeah. But starting with the Premier League, Though they have won the Premier League fairly recently, I would still say Leicester are not a traditional big side. And I think both uh, Soyunju, their center back, has been very, very good and has raised some questions about, like, maybe Harry Maguire looked better than he maybe was for that amount of money. Uh, And also James Madison for Leicester as well. We've talked about him many, many times on the show. I think both of those players have been key for Leicester. Um, I have a few from other leagues. Do you mind if I keep going or do you want to jump in with some Premier League ones? Actually, I want to jump in with also Leicester because they've obviously been the team that's Mm -hmm. performed above expectations. Um, I think the guys you mentioned are are key, but I also, I looked at their fullbacks, uh, Ricardo and Ben Chilwell have both Mm -hmm. been magnificent going forward, getting involved, sort of 
cutting inside and becoming extra attackers on both sides. I think they've been really um, important and effective. But I actually think the number one guy is Wilfred Ndidi. Yep. The whole thing, I think, revolves around the defensive midfield skills of uh, Wilfred Ndidi. Um, every time I've watched him, he's constantly winning balls in sort of defensive midfield and restarting attacks. And I'm not normally a big um, believer in using statistics to prop up arguments, but I went and looked to see if you know his numbers match the eye test. And he's averaging four and a half tackles and three interceptions per game. I think that those are pretty impressive numbers. Yeah, I mean, they, they seem to be very good. Whoever is in charge of identifying... Like, like small but very good central midfielders for Leicester needs a, a like a, a bigger job at a bigger club. <laughs> what, so who, sorry, what I, what I mean to say to clarify is I need Man United to sign that person. There we go. Yeah, there we go. Uh, so I had Sunju and Madison for Leicester, but then moving uh, like to the continent, uh, a player that uh, David Amoyal and I talked about on the Serie A uh, review show was uh, Chiro Immobile, uh, playing for Lazio this season. Uh, 17 goals in 16 games, I think, uh, is a decent uh, run of form for him, especially because he's recovered since kind of having a down season last year. So for what he's done done and where Lazio are on the table, I think he's been very impressive. The uh, problem with him is I don't think his movement's very good. He's kind of immobile. <laughs> In Germany, uh, I think Gladbach obviously have been the like surprise story of the season. And I think uh, Briel Embolo, 22 years old, uh, six goals in 13 games. Marcus Taram, another uh, another Taram for this show. Uh, yeah. uh, 16 games, six goals. He also is 22. So you've got some very young, creative, exciting playmakers, attackers, goal scorers there. And it's a big part of why Gladbach have been so good. And then the big, big name that's been doing the rounds is Erling Holland, uh, the Salzburg forward. Who Daryl, how much have you read about him? Or seen of him? Um, I saw a lot of him during the U20 World Cup. Mm-hmm. He got a lot of uh, headlines for scoring a million goals. Yep. Um, but outside of that, I've just seen a lot of headlines and then a few goals for Salzburg. Yeah. yeah. So I was looking up his numbers, which are absurd. First of all, Salzburg now top of the table. Uh, they have scored 66 goals this season. They have a plus 48 goal difference. A big part of that has been Holland, who scored 16 in 14 games. That's, uh, I think, over 983 minutes. I did the math here. He has a goal every 61 minutes in league play. So that's not bad. But then you think like, OK, but it's like the Austrian Bundesliga definitely can't be keeping those numbers up in the Champions League and you're right he isn't instead he's scoring a goal every 62 minutes so one minute worse in the Champions League but he scored eight goals in six games uh, for uh, Salzburg in their six Champions League group stage games so I think for how good Salzburg have done they are more of a you know traditional power in the Bundes- er, in the Austrian Bundesliga but how many goals he's scored and how good he has looked and how many teams are now trying to sign him I think he is probably the the kind of breakout name of the season so far the thing I keep hearing about him is that for like for a young player, he's already like shaped like a man yes. for a teenager. He and then like also has the game smarts of a more mature player. This is yep. the thing I keep like I haven't watched enough of him to say this for myself, but that's the thing um I keep reading. Yeah. Um the thing the thing I would like to do is I'd like someone to sign him who already has a striker called Oates, then they can have a strike partnership of Ho- Harland Oates. Oates. All right. That one's good. <laughs> that one. I'm going to need a minute. Uh, in the meantime, Daryl, who have you got? Um, so I went, I went to Leicester that City. Be best, that might be your best joke you've ever made on this show. I did, I've got to say I saw that somewhere on Twitter. Someone else should get credit for that joke. I don't know who it is. Though. Oh, my uh, God. <laughs> so 
Wilfred Ndidi, I honestly think, might be the guy. Um, I've also been impressed with Dwight McNeil, the winger, mm-hmm. young English winger for Burnley, whenever I've seen him. Dwight McNeil, I think, has looked really good. And then I know you talked about him on the show with Graham Ruthven. Um, Martin Odegaard for Sociedad on loan from Real Madrid has looked magnificent. And mm-hmm. I've mostly been consuming Odegaard content via Twitter, thanks to uh, Twitter accounts like Dummy Run and Final Third. Um, and it's not been like dribbly, dribbly show off things. It's been a lot of um, Odegaard vision like he will see passes and angles that no one else can see like lots of um you know there's a lots of fancy no look passes in the final third yeah um i've seen footage of martin odegaard doing no look passes just like building the ball out of the back you know what i mean so you're like kind of split teams open from uh, a defensive midfield type position with a no look reverse pass so yeah martin odegaard but i don't know if he counts because he's technically already a real madrid player um, I, I think because he's not playing for a like traditional big side right now. Just like I mean, obviously he's employed by one, but is on loan elsewhere. So I think he counts. I also okay. feel like did you not? I feel like it's fair to say that you could go with Holland Odegaard and like Odegaard. <laughs> you could do it that way. And if you did put them together, that would be a, a man-eating team that would make your dreams come true. Ba-dum-tsh. Thank you, thank you, thank you for that. <laughs> this is the only two Hall of no- Hall of Note songs I can think of off the top of my head. <laughs> I couldn't name one. Um, all right, so any any other uh, any other nominations for impressive players outside of a traditional big size? The only other one, and this is mostly down to like statistics. Like I can't claim to have watched very much of him, but there's a, f- a gentleman by the name of uh, Myron Boadu who plays for AZ in the Eredivisie. They're currently second. He's a big reason for that. Uh, 16 goals in, or excuse me, 11 goals in 16 games, flipping that around. But he's another 18 year old Dutch forward, is getting a lot of attention. There's still those questions about, like, but is there to visit that good? Like, we need to see more of him. But still, anytime I think an 18 year old is scoring the way he is with the regularity is and looking as comfortable as he has been, again, by all reports from what I've seen, um, that's just another name that I do think you'll start hearing a bit more about uh, maybe this summer. His name again? Myron Boadu. B O A D U. All right. Mm-hmm. Sounds good. Sounds good. Ready for the next question? I am indeed. Okay. Next question comes from Jack Sugarman. Jack Sugarman wants to know, with Emerson Heinemann's new MLS deal, he's gone to Atlanta United permanently, right? Mm-hmm. Where does he fit into the U.S. men's national team midfield depth chart? Does no longer being on loan from Bournemouth help him? Well, Daryl, um, I don't know if you know this about me, but I, I watched every single Atlanta United game last season. And, and I feel like uh, Heinemann moving permanently to Major League Soccer is one factor that will increase his chances to earn a USMNT call-up. But playing regularly is the other. He'll do that in Atlanta. Burhalter will continue to invite MLS players to camp. So if Heinemann performs well under DeBoer, he could have a shot. But the U.S. midfield is pretty deep right now. As an attacking midfielder, midfielder he's going to have to have a tough time unseating some of Burhalter's preferred choices. Are you reading that from somewhere? Yeah, Felipe emailed me. <laughs> yeah, I didn't watch every Atlanta game, but Felipe Cardenas did, and he answered that question for me. There we go. Yeah, so he's going to be behind. Um, yeah. If you think of like the two number 10s or the 10 and the 8 that uh, that Berhalter has, mm-hmm. you've got what Pulisic, Lejet, McKenney, Roldan, Morales, yeah. maybe Dwayne Holmes. There's a lot of players ahead of Emerson Heinemann, right? Um, but you could argue that no longer being on loan does help him because it means he's eligible for January camp. That's the big one. Yep. Mm-hmm. Right? Because I, I, I think... before he would go back to Bournemouth in January, then he's not available for January camp because he's not an MLS player. He's not like he's with his he's with his Premier League team not getting minutes. Um, so to be an MLS player and be available in January, I think he has a chance of being called up for a January camp. Even though I think every one of our European players is hurt right now. <laughs> but but yes, I think it still does mean that like with that January camp, you're going to have uh, more people 
brought in and maybe Berhalter experiments a little bit. I don't know if that means we'll see him starting regularly or even starting at all, but I do think we'll probably see him in that January camp, and that's definitely a thing that wouldn't have happened otherwise. There we go. I like how you just said what I said. And Felipe would add that uh, he has a one-on-one interview with uh, Emerson Hyman from September that you can check out over the over the at the Athletic, as well as a U.S. midfield breakdown over the, at the Athletic. Lovely. Mm. All right, I would recommend reading that if you have an Athletic subscription. I would. Um, if you would prefer to listen to mm-hmm. your content, uh, you could try today's sponsor. Audible. Audible has the world's largest selection of audiobooks and audio entertainment, including Audible Originals. So, Daryl, you all have been on the road now a little bit in Michigan. Uh, have you all gone audiobook, or are you sticking with music for right now? We've mostly just been talking to each other. Oh, that's, that's no fun. Are you at least telling, <laughs> each, are you telling each other stories that would we did, maybe then we work as audiobooks? We actually, sorry, I'm, I'm going to ruin your angle for this ad, but we didn't <laughs> travel together. We traveled separately because uh, I, I went via Boston. Did you listen to any audiobooks on the way? <laughs> no. um, I can't. I can't say that I did. But if I was going to, <laughs> I would have used Audible to listen to the new Malcolm Gladwell. Uh, Malcolm Gladwell um, has an audiobook called "Talking to Strangers," where he essentially makes the case for why you should uh, make an effort to think about who you're talking to and not make assumptions. Um, and sort of try and understand strangers better, which I think, um, having spent some time with my in-laws here in Michigan, mm-hmm. I think is a <laughs> a good lesson for maybe uh, the, these times, especially politically. Do you, very true. Do you happen to know off the top of your head if that is narrated by Malcolm Gladwell? Because I'm assuming it is. I feel like he tends to do his own audiobooks. Talking to Strangers by Malcolm Gladwell, narrated by Malcolm Gladwell. Which works, because he, he has a very like nice voice to listen to. My wife and I do, uh, we either go long form podcasts or uh, audiobooks when we're doing long, long road trips. And we do tend to compromise on if the reader is good at what they're doing and kind of keep you, keeps you pulled in. It really helps with that. A lot of the uh, audible offerings do have very good narration by very good readers. Malcolm Gladwell's book, I would assume being one of them based on uh, past performances. Yeah, and all this content is always like weirdly interesting, right? It's always like making you think about things in a way that you hadn't thought about before, but maybe should have. I, I guess we're, we're going to go deep on Malcolm Gladwell for a moment because it's also the like, like it's the thing you know, like about movies where like you might not like a movie, but if you find yourself thinking about it for days after you've seen it, it probably means it's a good movie because it's making you think that much. Yeah. Gladwell is kind of the same for me, where I have some some of his stuff I don't really buy into and don't really agree with, and yet it still resonates, and I think about it like every now and then, and to me that's a sign of at the very least it's like challenging the way you think, uh, and and if you're having him in audio format, then you. Can also like yell back at him when you disagree, even if you won't <laughs> respond. It still maybe lets you alleviate some frustration if that is a thing you need to do. And maybe he can hear you. You don't know if he can hear you or not. You can't <laughs> prove that he can't. Just um, yell louder. With, with the convenient Audible app, you can listen anytime, anywhere, mm-hmm. and on any device mobile, Alexa enabled, Bluetooth, and more. Um, Audible members um, get more than ever before. Every month you choose one audiobook, regardless of the price, as well as two Audible originals from a fresh selection. That's right. So start listening with a 30-day Audible trial. Choose one audiobook and two Audible originals absolutely free. Visit audible.com slash TSS or text TSS to 500-500. One more time, you can start listening with a 30-day free trial. You get one audiobook, two originals, Audible originals, as Taylor said, absolutely free. It's audible.com slash TSS or text TSS to 500-500. Thank you very much to Audible for sponsoring today's episode. Back to our listener questions. We've got one from Mr. Greg York. Daryl Grew, are you ready? 
Always. All right. Is it my imagination, asks Greg, or do 90% of Premier League fans wear dark <laughs> or black jackets to games in the winter? If so, why do that and not as opposed to wearing their uh, team's colors? So Greg's right. Most people do wear just dark or black jackets to games in the winter. And it's basically just because black, go- black coats um, are and always have been in style in the United Kingdom. Yes. Um, I think, and I think I did a bit of like fashion research to answer this question. Um, the reason dark or black jackets are like so prevalent in the UK is that they never go out of style. And it's because black goes with everything, mm-hmm. right? If you're going to invest in a winter coat, you don't want something that is like flashy, um, always going to clash with other colors and black will go with whatever else you're wearing. Um, there's also just the British character is not necessarily to be very flashy with what you're wearing, right? It's a little bit subdued. Um, that's what it's all about. And also, if you're going to bulk up with multiple layers, as you tend to um, in the winter in the UK, black has a slightly slimming effect, right? If you wear sure something does. big and big and bright under multiple layers, you look like the Michelin man. A so <laughs> a, black, a black coat works. The other good reason I saw is that um, black kind of hides the dirt. Right. So if you're like you've got like diesel, like uh, like diesel particles all over you or you've been rubbing up against things on the tube, uh, then a nice black. What coat are you hide. doing on the way to soccer games, Daryl? <laughs> Getting crushed by many people on the tube. <laughs> oh, that makes sense. You see what I mean? Yeah. So uh, so it just hides any um, any any stains or any, anything that might have got on your coat. Black hides it very nicely. And then um, for, and then can I do historical for a moment? Please do. Uh, and then I would say from a historical, historical perspective, it's worth remembering that soccer football is like the working class sport. So there's an argument to be made that probably a lot of fans throughout history didn't have the extra money to go out and buy like the official club top, especially mm-hmm. because once those things became available, they certainly weren't cheap. Um, yep. So if I'd you're buying throughout history, including today. Yeah, right. So if you're buying one winter coat, it's probably going to be one that you're going to be able to wear to a variety of functions, not just to your favorite team's game especially if it's like Norwich you probably don't want to be wearing like bright green and yellow to like a work event in your coat so that's one yeah. element but then well, to, to meet your girlfriend's parents like yeah. this guy in a yeah. green and yeah. yellow coat I know one thing about him actually I know two things about him based on uh, the coat he's wearing number one he's a Norwich fan number two he's too much of a Norwich fan if he's wearing that coat um, but I also think we're kind of reverse answering a question we've gotten uh, a couple of different times which is that it also explains why there are so many different scarves available uh, yeah. for games and why you have some many different team specific scarves because that is the easy way to do it you wear the black coat but then you wear uh, a scarf with your club's colors or with your club's yes. logo or whatever and that is how you show your supporter you wear a uh, a hat that has that same like color scheme that's how you show it a little bit more i've done those two exact things going to wolves games in the winter yep. right i wear a dark coat because it's my like biggest warmest coat um and then i'll wear yeah a wolf scarf or a wolf's hat to to show my support Yes, I like I like that. I like that as well. I think I've taken to doing that too. I have the Man United beanie that I will wear uh, in shame. <laughs> Next question. Yep. Next question comes from Taylor Judd. Taylor Judd says, I've been listening to Soccer 101. Um, and in the Lions on the Pitch podcast, we did a whole show about the Lions on the Pitch and how they evolved and what they all do. I was hoping to hear about the manager's box. We had a few people ask this question. Is the manager's box official? What are the rules on it? And how are they not enforced? 
<laughs> well, um, I've done the research if you haven't, but uh, I, I guess I'm throwing this to you first. Um, I, I haven't, but I can give you my rough answer, which is I'm assuming they are official. Even if it's like a dotted line box, oftentimes I feel like it's meant to denote where the managers are supposed to stand. And I think though they oftentimes stray out of that box, my assumption would be it's where they're supposed to be. You don't have to give them a card or book them for it, but it sort of gives the fourth official an easy space to be like, hey, back to your home. Get back in there. Don't come yes. out of here again. Yeah, back in your house. Yeah, that's my answer. <laughs> so yeah, it's um, it came about in 1993, um, and the dotted line is supposed to be either one meter or one yard on either side of the designated seated area and extending forward up to a distance of one meter or one yard from the touchline. So it's not just for the manager. It's called the technical area, right? It's called the technical area, not the manager box, although that kind of is what it is. Um, and it's supposed to contain... The manager box is where Diego Simeone was sentenced that one time when he was suspended for a game. Do you remember that? <laughs> yes. the ISO cube? <laughs> Um, it's supposed to contain not just the manager, but all the assistant coaches and also the subs, except for when they're warming up. Mm-hmm. Right. But the real point of it isn't that the guy is only allowed in this uh, or the manager is only allowed within this dotted line. It's really to stop them going on the field. Right. That's the main that's the main purpose of it. And that's why um, when Taylor asks, uh, how are they not enforced? You will see coaches obviously straight to the left and the right and go outside of the dotted line. But as long as they're not going on the pitch, I think the fourth official whose job it is to enforce this is not going to come down too heavy on them uh, for the occasional straying outside the lines. Dude, I didn't think about that, but that's a really good point because the times that you ever see a coach, like every now and then there will be that story about a coach who – accidentally quote-unquote like trips a player when they're on a breakaway as they're streaming on the sideline and suddenly there's a tangle of legs because the coach is too far out like you have a clear identifier right there like oh no that that manager has straight outside of their managerial box they're clearly doing that on purpose you're absolutely right like because it didn't make sense to me when you said that at first like what like they need a a little square to tell them hey don't go running on the field but you're right you would naturally edge closer and closer and closer to the action and eventually if you're standing on the touchline when a counterattack happens problems could ensue Yep, and that's why the second part of the uh, in the FIFA laws, um, the the designated area extends forward up to a distance of one meter or one yard from the touchline. So you're always at least uh, that far away from the touchline is where the dotted line ends. So there's a clear uh, delineation between where your technical area ends, and then there's a meter or a yard, and then there's where the pitch starts. So there's no way you should be on the pitch. All right, I like that. Unless you're celebrating uh, saving a penalty against (laughs) Sheffield United and in your Cardiff City, sorry, and in your face, Neil Warnock. And then I do like the placement of the fourth official between the coaches' boxes, uh, the ISO cubes, so that like if something does happen, you have that fourth official there, and they can sort of police it a bit more. But it gives them like clear lines of jurisdiction, almost of like, yes. hey, like because otherwise you know there'd be managers, Jose Mourinho, who would like wander <laughs> over to the other manager's side, and just be like, oh, I'm sorry, I didn't realize I was here. Like I apologize profusely, but I'm not apologizing at all, and I am trying to instigate. <laughs> Do you do you think it should be more forcefully um, policed? No. Like, do you think coaches should not be allowed to come out of that box at all? Or do you think the way they do it, where it's, you know, we we give you some leeway is the way to go? I, I think it's that. Because, like, like yeah. and I would put that in the same category as the taking off the shirt is an automatic yellow card. Like, I understand why if you're making a rule because you want to limit that thing, then you have to give it no matter what. But if you're booking, like, uh, Duncan Ferguson, when Everton score, when he first takes over, like, you know how much that means to him, especially now, like, being the manager 
for him to go running down the sideline and celebrating, I don't want that to be an automatic booking because there's a decent chance he's going to do it again when he gets really excited when they score again, if they score again. And then you've got a red card. And to me, that's, that's a bit much. Whereas I think the kind of informal policing works a little bit better because then you do still have that freedom to, if the managers won't listen, boom, boom, yellow cards, and you've sort of yeah. laid down the law right away. All right. So I hope that answers the question. We may need to take this answer and maybe add it on the end of that Soccer 101 episode because so mm-hmm. many people followed up and asked asked this question. And that Soccer 101 episode also does not feature me saying boom, boom, yellow card. So if for no other yeah. reason than that, I think we should add it in. Yeah, more episodes need that, right? More <laughs> episodes certainly need that. More you know episodes. What? We haven't, so- before, you, before we go to the next question, mm-hmm. sorry for interrupting. We haven't sort of promoted the recent episodes of Soccer 101, and there's a lot of good stuff that we published recently, including a massive explanation of the 50 plus one rule mm-hmm. in Germany with Matt Herman from Talking Football. We go deep on sort of what it is, how it came to be, how RB Leipzig got around it, and what the future holds for 50 plus one. So I really recommend people go listen to that because you'll learn a lot, even if you already know a lot, because I learned a lot just listening to Matt. Yeah, I, I enjoyed having Matt explain that one so you and I didn't have to be like, wait, but wait, when does this happen and why does that happen? <laughs> Matt knew it all and that was useful. And then we also, we did one on the League Cup as well, right? The history mm-hmm. of the League Cup and like wh- where it exists in English football and what the future holds for it. I think that would be an interesting show to listen to, especially given the fact that Liverpool <laughs> really fielded a youth team against Aston Villa this week and lost 5-0 yes, in the League Cup. did. Yes, they did. Yes, they did. Yes. And we have the Home Nations one as well. That was that was interesting. So lots of good content over at Soccer 101. You should definitely check yeah. it out if you have not yet already done so. All right. Ready now for the next question, Tyler? we can go yeah. to Pete Johnson's question. Um, if Jaden Sancho goes to Chelsea, will he overshadow Christian Pulisic again? I say no. I say no because it's a very different situation. Okay. Um, so if you remember at Dortmund last season, um, Pulisic and Sancho were essentially competing for the right wing spot at Dortmund, right? Because Lucien Favre favoured putting, uh, I went back and looked and refreshed my memory. Uh, Jakub Brun Larsen was always the left winger last season for Borussia Dortmund because I think he wanted like a more defensive left winger and then a more attacking right winger. And it was either Sancho or Pulisic. And then Pulisic throughout the season was first injured and then he was sold. So he was on his way out and Sancho was on the rise. Um, If Sancho went to Chelsea now, he would play right wing. He would essentially replace Willian, right? And Christian Pulisic has already established himself as Chelsea's left winger. Mm -hmm. So it's much more set up for Sancho on the right, Pulisic on the left. um, And they wouldn't be competing for the same spot. If anything, they'd be complementing each other and attacking you from either side. So I think it's, it's set up to be much more balanced if this happens. If they did bring in somebody who could do like either job, would would that concern you though? Would you feel like, oh, maybe they are looking to replace him, or is that a premature fear given the amount they've invested in Pulisic and the like lack of time that he's had so far? The second one, because okay. Pulisic is getting plenty of time right now, right? He's mm-hmm. even getting selected when he's having bad games. He's still back in the team the next game. Like, yeah. Lampard seems to have so much faith in him uh, that he's even uh, letting him get away with a couple of uh, bad games. Yeah, I think I think I just like like there's still it's a strange thing with with Chelsea because Pulisic comes in for the amount he comes in for. But because of the transfer ban and the way he sort of comes in, like he signed in January, then the ban goes into effect, but he's already a registered player. So, but like you still, I I think I still sometimes equate him with this like Chelsea team that are in a transfer embargo. So they're playing the kids and they've got a lot of youngsters. But once they're out of the embargo, they're obviously going to sign people because they're Chelsea. And then his spot could be under threat. And like, but that's not the case. It's just that I blend him in with a lot Mm -hmm. of those people because it feels like he's one of those because he is young and is unproven in the Premier League. But in reality, 
strangely, like I have to remind myself of that, that he's this player they've invested massive amounts of money in. He is representative yeah. of a player that they envision a future for. So then, And he's already performed. He's already right. scored a hat-trick from the left wing and gone mm-hmm. on a great run of form. Like he's already done it. I right. think we can all relax about Christian Pulisic now even if he has a little uh, run of bad form maybe he's dropped from the team for a, for a couple of weeks yep. I think I think his future is safe at Chelsea for the foreseeable future you know what Daryl I agree with you all right <laughs> and rather than uh repeat more of what you've already said uh do you want to move on to more questions I want to move on to today's Talisman Caps ad read. How about that? Let's do that. Today's show is sponsored by Talisman Caps. If you've been listening to Total Sock Show for a while, you know about Talisman Caps. They make beautiful five panel hats and Mm -hmm. all kinds of other hats as well uh, with great soccer themed logos. I do know that the Liverbird and Cockerel hats are now back in stock. And if you support teams that have Liverbirds or Cockerels as their logo, you will know which teams I'm talking about. (laughs) You will indeed. And then, like uh, what we've been talking about with it being winter with the the big heavy coats, the darker colors, you can use their caps to sort of stand out if you want to go to a – maybe you're going to go to an outdoor viewing and it's very, very cold outside. Or maybe you just don't feel like wearing the same old jersey to the bar to show your support because that's a thing we do for some reason. Um, you could wear like the much more simple, simpler like stripped down hats. They've got beanies if you are going to be outdoors, uh, 100% acrylic beanies. They've got the cockerel. They've got the red devil. They've got the liverbird. Uh, they've got a USA 94 if you want one to represent the US. But they've got – Lots of different hatting options uh, for the winters if you don't want to go full jersey. (laughs) Hatting options. Mm. I like it. Um, They also make great gifts. Obviously, uh, Christmas is coming. And as of today, we are recording this Thursday, December 19th. There are two days left to order at talismancaps.com where they can guarantee December 24th delivery via standard mail. So you've got two days to order at talismancaps.com and they, they will get it there via standard mail in time for Christmas Eve. You will beat Santa to the chimney if you order today or tomorrow. What if I want to beat Santa to the chimney? I want to order from Talisman Caps, but I am steadfastly opposed to playing, paying full price. Then you are in luck because if you use the code TOTALSOCCER10, TOTALSOCCER10, you'll get 10% off any order of $35 or more. That's right. One more time, that promo code is TOTALSOCCER10 to get thirty uh, to get 10% off a minimum purchase of $35. One more time, that URL, Daryl? It's talismancaps.com. Talismancaps.com. The there we are. So thank you very <laughs> much, TalismanCaps. Daryl's going to say? Oh, yeah. Well, one final thing is I think our advertising agreement with Talisman Caps goes to the – like to basically now to just before Christmas in December. So if you're going to use that discount code, now is your last chance to do so. And you have two days left before December 24th comes. So if you're going to buy a talisman cap with the total soccer discount, it's basically, it's not now or never, it's now or tomorrow or never. (laughs) Which I think is a good name for a James Bond film. You've come up with some catchy phrases so far. You've got that one for James Bond. You also had Christmas is coming, which is what I believe the Winterfell gift shop changes their official slogan to uh, around the holiday season. They go from (laughs) winter is coming to Christmas is coming. All right. Yeah, I I think you've done well. You've done well with your branding. Let's see if you do do well answering one more question and then reading some scouting. Gray Hair Gaming, our old pal, asks, why are Olympic soccer rosters so very small? Uh, With not many days of rest in between games, wouldn't it make sense to have larger rosters more in line with other FIFA competitions? So, yeah, for those who don't know, um, a World Cup roster is 23 players. Um, An Olympic soccer roster is 18 players. It's only 18 players. There's no like written answer to this, right? There's no statement from um, the IOC or from FIFA saying, here's why we made Olympic soccer uh, rosters so small. But my best guess is 
it's essentially FIFA trying to make sure that Olympic soccer can never overshadow yeah. the World Cup, right? <laughs> yes. That's why they made the men's tournament a U23 uh, plus three ringers tournament. Um, and I think the 18-man roster is all about making sure that Olympic soccer is second best to FIFA soccer. Yeah, I mean, which it naturally is because to Greyhair's point, like you have fewer fewer amounts of rest. You're still playing in like, like the last one being in Brazil. You've got a lot of ground to cover. You've got difficult atmospheres to play in. So it would make sense to have... Have more people, but I think by intentionally limiting the rosters, again, they would never say that in the rule book, but you're effectively like guaranteeing it will be lower quality. You're going to have players injured. You're probably also not going to have all your players there because you only have the three over age. So you don't really ever have that threat from the Olympics, not just because you don't have like the high profile stars, but because by very, it's very nature, you're going to have inferior soccer as a result. And if people don't know, like the history of this is Olympic soccer used to be the big soccer tournament, right? Mm-hmm. I want to say 1908 maybe is when Olympic soccer was the major, um, the major soccer tournament. So when FIFA started the the World Cup, they wanted to make sure that it was the preeminent global uh, national team sporting event. So there's been a lot of compromises along the way to essentially always keep Olympic soccer in its place. Um, as second best. There are some upsides though, right? Like the upside to an 18 player roster is you kind of guarantee that everybody's going to get on the field at some point. There won't be um, a mixed disc route situation where mixed disc route went to the world cup in 2014 and did not set foot on the field. I mean, you know, uh, unless you're mixed disc route, I'm not sure how many people were too bummed about that one, but yes, that's a good point. <laughs> but, you, but you get what I'm saying, right? Mm-hmm. You, you can almost guarantee that an 18 player roster with lots of games in a short number of days, you're probably going to use every player. Can I also add that, like, it's worth remembering that, that we're talking about the Olympic Games here. And this is the thing that, like, this I've not seen this written anywhere. This is just my, like, this is my gut answer is that, like, when you watch the opening ceremony, there are so, so many athletes participating in the Olympics. That's what they're there for. But, like, if you had five more players on every roster, both the men's and women's sides, you add all that up. That's, like, a lot more athletes that you have to deal with and find <laughs> housing for. Yeah, there's only, there are only so many rooms in the Olympic exactly. Village, right? Like, suddenly you have more people participating in the Olympics than like attending them or living in the country that's yeah. hosting them. I'm not building a whole new complex just for mixed disc to stay. <laughs> the Mixplex? Get some <laughs> yeah, more the mixplex. in there. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> We're all about branding today, it seems. <laughs> yeah, I mean, I think, I think that makes sense because you're definitely, it's one of those things in my mind that like, if you don't have a clearly codified answer that explains it, then you have to look to like, all right, so what's the ulterior motive here? And I think you're absolutely right that they're never going to write down like, oh, well, we want the Olympics to be bad, <laughs> but you can kind of <laughs> read between those lines and put that math together. <laughs> there it is. There it is. Mm-hmm. Uh, I, I feel like we answered that. I, I feel like, like we answered that. Is, yeah. All right. Well, then we've done, uh, done answered some questions, but we have not done read some scouting reports. Whew, I made that complicated. Uh, we do have several scouting reports to get to, but, but, but if anyone is new to the show, Daryl, and don't know what the scouting network is, can you explain what it is and how it exists and why it exists? I sure can. Um, um, it's voice? one of it's one of the ways we have kept the show going all these years, 10 years now. It's one of the things that's made the show successful. The Scouting Network is where we ask you to support the Total Soccer Show with a monthly financial contribution via totalsoccershow.com slash join. There are multiple levels. At the $5 level, which is the lowest level, um, we give you a player, a young player to scout, which means you know keep an eye on him or her. If they score a goal, if they get an assist, if something newsy happens, send it to us. And then we will include that report um, in the Scouting Network report section at the end of every show or almost every show. Um, also, at the $10 level, we guarantee to answer one 
one of your listener questions per month. That's been a really popular option Mm -hmm. for people as well. It has indeed. So we've got several reports to get to, starting with Guy Yedweb scouting Serge Gnabry, the 23-year-old German wide forward for Bayern Munich. Uh, Build is reporting that Bayern Munich have dropped out of the race for Erling Braut Holland, uh, and, and the stated reason for dropping interest is that Bayern bosses have watched Gnabry play as a striker for Germany and believe he is capable of deputizing for Robert Lewandowski. Uh, in his sole run out for Bayern replacing Lewandowski, uh, Gnabry did not quite fit the position in the same style as the prolific pole. Um, although this was in the latter days of Niko Kovac, so maybe there's a grain of salt there. All right. I'm excited about the next one because it's an American. It's from Patrick Snyder scouting Nick Tatagwe. I've forgotten how we're supposed to pronounce his name. I, I learned it and I've forgotten it. Can you remember? I think it's Tatagwe. I think. Tatagui, okay. Nick Tatagui. We're excited about him, not just because he's an upcoming Tatag- American. Tatagui. Tatagui is what I think it is. There we go. Nick Tatagui. Yeah. He's from our area, right? He's from he the is. Richmond metro area. And he, I think he was with FC Richmond, the club you used to play for. Mm-hmm. Um, but now he is with Schalke's under 23s there because Nick Tatagui is a 20-year-old American midfielder for Schalke. Patrick says, Tatagui is seeing a bit of a resurgence with Schalke. He started each of the last two matches with Schalke's U23s. On Saturday, Tatagui scored against Rottweiss Oberhausen on the right wing he wasn't able to help them come up with a victory but Patrick says it's encouraging just to see him back on the field because Nick Tatagui has had a lot of injuries Tatagui's contract runs out in June so he faces a fight against the clock to prove himself to the club my understanding is that Schalke rate him very highly but these injury problems keep on coming yes so what do you think that means then do you think it's like the one-year extension to see his stability or do you think it all is to play for in these final few months of the season I think if he goes the next six months uninjured yeah. and looking great for the U23s, then they'd be crazy not to offer him at least another year contract, right? And maybe a first-team debut late this season or early next you season. You hear that, Shaka? It'd be crazy not to. So listen yeah. up. All right. All right. Uh, next report comes from Matthew Anderson, scouting uh, Godfred Donza, a uh, 23-year-old Ghanaian midfielder on loan at Cirque Le Bruges from Bologna. Uh, is this a new addition to the scouting network? I believe so. Or an old one that's come back. Uh, that could be. I, I just don't remember too many reports on Godfred Dunsa. Uh, but after moving on loan to Bruges at the beginning of the season, uh, the man once dubbed the new Essien started a December 7th match against uh, Ressing Genk as a midfielder, but ended up playing three different positions in that game. So he started as a midfielder after an injury to center back uh, Johanna Omolo. Uh, Dunsa was moved to the back line and then back again when goalkeeper uh, Guillaume Hubert uh, was taken to the hospital with a bloody face. I don't okay, know if that so, was the diagnosis, but there we go. Dunsa is the uh, the Ghanaian Western McKenney by the sound of it. Yes. Uh, <laughs> Circla, uh, he, that said, while playing in goal, he did keep his shoulders okay. Circla had <laughs> used all of their substitutes, so Dunsa stepped in. He did not allow a goal, but the damage had already been done. Circla lost 2-1. Richie Garcia is scouting Emerson Hindman, the aforementioned 23-year-old American. 23 years old. American playing for Atlanta United. Richie makes it official. Atlanta United announced that they have made Emerson's loan a permanent move. He signed a multi-year contract going to 2022. And Daryl, I really think, I don't know if you agree with me, but I think this January camp, he'll probably be involved. Yeah, someone said that earlier. (laughs) Gray Hair Gaming, uh, two times on one show. Scouting Indiana Vasilev, 18-year-old American midfielder for Aston Villa. Indiana kicked off the scoring, playing surprisingly in the striking role instead of his usual attacking midfield role in Villa's U23 match against the Middlesbrough U23s. He got a 30-minute brace in the 5-3 victory. That performance has led to some speculation that he could move to the senior team since Villa are unlikely to spend big money on goal scorers in January. You've mentioned this before, but I wanted to go back to it, Daryl. Your friends who are Villa supporters, some of them are like up on Indiana Vasilev, correct? 
Yeah, I think just because I had mentioned his name to them as a young um, American, I now get – so you've met Stephen Paul, right? Because they came to visit um, in September. I now get WhatsApp messages from them every time Indiana Vasilev scores for the <laughs> U23s. <laughs> All right. So, but is that them – like would they be watching those games anywhere, paying attention to those games anyway because it's the Villa U23s? Or is it sort of they're paying more attention because Indiana Vasilev is there? I think somewhere between the two, right? They'd be paying attention and they'd be happy that the U23s are doing well. But I think because Indiana Vasilev's name pops out at them because I've mentioned him as a young American. It's also just a solid, solid name. It's a great name. It's the dog's name, but yeah. (laughs) Good job. That was a good one too. Uh, Is it you or me? It's you. It's me. Todd Brannan is scouting Cam. Cameron Carter-Vickers, the 21-year-old American defender on loan at Stoke from Tottenham. Um, Todd says, Stoke City and CCV are still in the relegation zone, but have moved off the bottom of the championship since hiring current Northern Ireland manager Michael O'Neill to take over the recent from the recently sacked Nathan Jones. Wait, is Michael O'Neill the Northern Ireland manager and the Stoke manager? It that seems that right, way. It? it seems that way. <laughs> the news for CCV is not oh, so it would, great. It would make however. sense because Northern Ireland are still potentially going to the Euros if they win their playoffs, their two games. So maybe it's sort of, he's like, I'm going to keep managing them, but when we don't qualify, then I'll just go manage Stoke fully. That's strange, right? It is. Um, so for CCV it's not so great he's failed to make the squad for three of the five games that O'Neill has been in charge his two starts came out right back and his performance against Blackburn was widely criticised he has not made the team for Stoke in the two games since Blackburn ooh rough times for CCV I didn't know this was happening nor did I uh, rough times for him better times from Ryan Sessegnon scouted by James Porter uh, Sessegnon is the 19 year old English left sider he played left back left wing left wing back all those good things for Tottenham any drink, any drink cider and also that uh, Kenny I don't know what does that mean just because you said left sider never mind it's a very bad joke they can't all be winners taylor they can't all be winners Sessegnon had a breakthrough week earlier in December as he made his first uh, Premier League substitute appearance for Spurs in a 5-0 win at home and started his first Champions League match against Bayern Munich. That physically hey. hurt me. Sess <laughs> proved to be one of Spurs' lone bright spots in a rotated squad for their dead rubber match that ended in a 3-1 loss. In the 19th minute, he volleyed a first-time blast past the Munich keeper at the near post to level the score 1-1. He received praise from Mourinho after the match for his training habits and willingness to be brave in attack. All right. I guess I'm going to have to entrust Ryan Sessegnon's development to uh, Jose Mourinho, who's not famous for giving young players their chance, is he? I mean, he Uh, has a list of the players that he gave their first chances to, so there's that. Yeah, exactly. Exactly. Um, yeah. To make to make up for my terrible pun, I'm going to uh, also apologise to Todd Brannan and say that is absolutely the case that Michael O'Neill is currently the Northern Ireland manager and the Stoke City manager. You did some googling, he, did you? And he's not selecting CCV for either team. Nah. Um, Alex Crast is scouting Karamoko Dembele, the 16-year-old English winger for Celtic. Alex says Dembele made his Europa League debut in Celtic's 2-0 loss to CFR Cluj after they were already guaranteed to be group winners. Dembele came on in the 77th minute for Michael. Johnston with the results already in hand for the Romanian side who qualified for their first ever Europa League knockout stage well done Cluj I guess <laughs> well done Cluj indeed that takes us to Nicholas Imhoff scouting Emmanuel Sabi the 21 year old American winger for Holbro uh, Sabi is likely to move in January Holbro had been unable to re-sign Sabi whose contract is up at the end of the season Holbro have uh, one more game before going on their winter break until the middle of February which gives them plenty of time to listen to offers for Sabi 
<laughs> I like the idea they'll just be sitting there listening yep. to Office. Just drumming their fingers, so, waiting for yep, the phone to ring. No, no, yep. <laughs> Mark Gardberg is scouting Patrick Schick, 23-year-old Czech striker for RB Leipzig. Uh, Mark says Schick scored a lovely volley in the second minute of Leipzig's 3-0 dismantling of Fortuna this weekend. Oh, no. Still, the big Leipzig stories yeah. for TSS listeners, TSS listeners may be, number one, 23-year-old Timo Werner scoring again his 16th this season, putting two behind Lewandowski for the golden boot. And number two, Coach Nagelsmann saying... Tyler Adams might return this month. So we might see some Tyler Adams before the end of the year. Yay, maybe. Uh, might being the very key word there. But, uh, yeah. but we'll keep those fingers crossed. Final report comes from Ian Shank, scouting Fernando Arce Jr., the 23-year-old Mexican-American midfielder for Club Tijuana. Uh, Fernando Arce Jr. struggled to get on the field for Oscar Pereja's Tijuana squad, uh, making only six appearances in the Liga Mekis Apertura this fall. The defensive midfielder was a substitute in the first four games of the season, then only saw the field twice more the rest of the Apertura. Uh, his only start was a 4-1 to drubbing against Santos Laguna, so not the best of times overall. Oh, dear. Yeah. At least he, he has a new coach. So there's that. That's, yeah. There we go. Finding the silver lining. Well done, Daryl Grove. Yeah. Thank you to everybody for the scouting report, especially Todd Brannan, who was right the whole time. Should make sure. <laughs> Should make sure to underline that. Again, if you want to support the show, it's totalsoccershow.com slash join. Um, Tyler, I'll, I'll be traveling tomorrow back to Richmond, so I won't be on the show. Can you let our listeners know what is in store for the rest of the week on the Total Soccer Show? Sure. I wanted to talk about everything that's been going on in Arsenal from uh, sacking Emery to what's happened with Lundberg to the very likely slash uh, will be happening tomorrow appointment of Mikel Arteta, but then also everything like front office, back room, uh, player happiness, all that stuff. It'll be kind of an Arsenal-centric show. To help me do that will be James McNicholas, uh, who writes about Arsenal. I'm going to assume is therefore an Arsenal fan. Who knows for sure? But uh, he covers Arsenal for The Athletic. Uh, so he and I are going to be getting into the nitty gritty of all things Arsenal tomorrow morning. I hope James um, has some serious questions for you about why David Luiz did not make the big hair 11. I don't think he will, but I'll, I'll be sure to ask him uh, off air. <laughs> um, all right, and then I'll be back on the show next week. Uh, we obviously won't do a full week next week because it's Christmas, but we'll definitely have a show or two early in the week. You told me I had to be here for in the office from 9 to 5 every day next week. Including the 25th? Yes. Yeah, I'll definitely see you there. <laughs> no, you just told me I had to be here. I didn't know about you. <laughs> I'll sh- maybe, yeah I'll show up if I feel like it <laughs> alright that sounds good that sounds good <laughs> so we will have a sort of Christmas special next week right yes. um, maybe a holiday gift themed Christmas special um, alright enough rambling from me I will just say Taylor Rockwell thank you for taking the time to talk to me today right back at you buddy listeners thank you for listening and we will talk to you again very soon bye